Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and the theme is hope. And the writer W.H. Auden once wrote that we are in between the, the two Advents, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And as we uh, begin this uh, Advent season, we enter into the story. Just because just like, just like the uh, uh, early followers of God, they waited and waited for the Messiah. So what we do here at Maple Grove Covenant Church is that we light the Advent candles at, with uh, each Sunday. So this morning we have Lauren and Ben. They're going to come up here and uh, light the candle and uh, read from Isaiah as well. Let's give them a hand. Hi, I'm Lauren, and this is Ben. And um, I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 2, 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Give me a hand. Thank you. I always love that passage because it just rings so much of uh, Christmas. And yes, I'm wearing a bow tie this morning, uh, first time in about 20 years, uh, to support my gophers after the loss yesterday. I'm still a fan, still a fan. By the way, yes, it is a clip-on. Thanks, Katie Smith. It's a clip-on bow tie. If I had a tie, it'd be way, way too uh, difficult. But yeah, just going to the game yesterday and, and Saturday, as many of you know, that's the day I usually... Uh, work on my sermon in terms of just letting it kind of marinate, and, and I, I'm a, verb, I'm a pr- uh, processor verbally, so um, I had to bring my sermon in my back pocket as I was making my way to TCF Bank Stadium. I parked probably about uh, half a mile away because I'm too cheap to uh, pay for the, the parking, but as I was walking, I'm kind of going through my sermon because I had a long walk to get to the stadium, and, and pretty soon I had a couple of, uh, I think, U of M college kids come up to me like, man, you okay? Because I, I was going through my sermon. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I was okay until after the game. Anyways, all right. So as we jump in, uh, before, I, before I jump in, actually, uh, if you have a chance, listen to last week's sermon. The, I call it the Brianna Millet Experience. Uh, she's a remarkable teacher and, and a good friend of our congregation. A lot of you commented to me how much you liked her teaching, and uh, she loves you guys. She loves this church. And uh, just did a, a great job talking about and teaching on the rich young, young ruler. But this morning we, we actually kick off a new series called Love's Pure Light. And you, you may recognize that phrase. It actually comes from Silent Night. And one of the indications, I think, of Christmas season is the appearance of lights on trees and houses. And we see the, the lighting of a candle. And light reminds us of a lot of things, but it, it reminds us of, a, of darkness as well. It reveals to us that there is darkness in this fallen world, and I think uh, that's no surprise to any of us. But at the same time, also, for us to remember again that light, the light that we see this time of year, the light that you see in the sanctuary, is a reminder of the great light, Jesus Christ. And in that day, like today, it seemed like that light wasn't visible enough. And it, it was like the light had to be untangled. And when you read the story of God in the scripture, it's like God is untangling the lights. And if you're like me, the one of the things I hate about Christmas time, lighting the tree, is untangling the lights. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Was it Chad? Walt. Thanks, Walt. 
Okay, you agree as well. Yeah, it seems like no matter how, how hard I order, try to organize the lights and put them together, it seems like every year they're, they're uh, a mess, so I have to untangle them. In fact, there is uh, a supermarket in England, actually they had a position posted 36 hours a week that you can make some decent money, and all you had to do was untangle people's Christmas lights as they dropped them off uh, at, at the beginning and then go shopping in the supermarket. That was your job. And, and they posted that any candidate had to be able to untangle t- at least 10 feet of lights within uh, three minutes. And then also to check the bulbs and make sure they work. But for me, it's, it's something, I, as you can tell right now, I'm not really good at it. But uh, as you read about the story of God, right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God, the opening words, the very opening words, let there be light. It's the first words of creation, let there be light. It's interesting it starts there. And there's some rabbis that actually believe throughout the Old Old Testament, what we see is God over and over and over separating light from darkness. That's what he does. And after he says, let there be light, not too long after that, Adam and Eve sin. And then that light becomes sort of covered. And then we read about God and the people of God. It seems like over and over as they sin and as they uh, not follow God, that he's trying to untangle this light. He's trying to untangle the light of his, of his kingdom. And then when Jesus Christ comes and he's born in Bethlehem, the true light is shown the entire world. And yet at the same time, as that light, the true light was revealed, in a way, you and I are called to help untangle and show that light. And I'm going to preach more about that next week. But Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He says that in John, in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. And that's exactly why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because as, as he's untangling the light, he needed something bright, something that would uh, shine the entire world. The true light of God is found in Jesus Christ, where Jesus left his comfortable home in heaven to actually come to this difficult home in, on earth. And this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to spend some time in John chapter 1 this morning. And, and John, as he writes his gospel, it's so different from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John, as a disciple, um, very much uh, seeped in uh, uh, Jewish teaching and understanding that, that rabbinical emphasis on light and darkness. It's no surprise that light's a ma- major metaphor for John's writing. And he talks about uh, Christ being the light. And before I jump in this morning, let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. And God, for every person here, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open to what you want to share. And God, I pray for your blessing upon this sermon, Lord, that you would speak in and through me, that I come before you, vulnerable, fragile, and I pray, as Paul writes in Corinthians, that through the cracks of my own life, that the light of God would shine, and that would shine through this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we're reading from the NIV this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So right there, what what John is doing is he's echoing Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. that, That Christ is there in the beginning, in the beginning of creation. He continues, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And Paul elaborates on that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, if you want to read that another time. He talks about everything that, that we have is through Christ. 
Even though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Christianity we believe in this theological concept called the pre-existent Son of God. Christ, the Son of God, was there at the beginning. In fact, he was a part of creation. And when God said, let there be light, he was a part of that creation. And that's why we say in here, in verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of men, or humanity. It's not gender um, exclusive. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And we're going to camp on this this morning as we think about uh, what the Christmas story is really about. Because what the Bible teaches us that when it comes to Christmas and, and when it comes to Jesus, for example, what John's talking about is that Christmas is the story of darkness and light. That's his first fill in the blank in your teaching notes. That Christmas is the story of darkness and light. It reminds me a time not too long ago, my son and I were driving, and my son asked me, you know, you know Dad, when, when are things going to get better in the world? There, there seems to be so much darkness. And where, when, when is God going to kind of change things that, that this evil that we see so much of will actually be uh, stomped out? And we don't have to look very far, do we, for darkness and evil? I mean, just a couple days ago on the London Bridge over by the Big Ben clock, uh, a random stranger just grabbed a knife and started stabbing people. I think a couple people were dead. This is just out of nowhere. It was on the shopping day there in London. Or you get more closer to home, and in light rail, we're reading about, about assaults happening on light rail, even to older people. And you read these stories, it's like, when is this going to end? Yet, what we experience today is not that much different from the day of Jesus. And that the story of Christmas, a story of God's movement in this world, is a story of darkness and light. And our world that we have is not that much different. And it seems like every Christmas time, the name Charles Dickens is mentioned. It's like synonymous with Christmas because of his famous book, uh, A Christmas Carol. And what he talked about one time when a reporter came up to him and, and it asked him, you know, in 19th century England, he had, this reporter said, when, when is this evil going to end? Like, kind of like my son. When is this darkness that we see so, so rampant uh, in, in, in the England uh, area? And uh, um, Dickens responded by saying this, there are dark shadows on earth, but the lights are always brighter. The lights are always brighter. And for us to hold on to that, because as you go into the Christmas story, you, we see this sort of juxtaposition of darkness and light. Shepherds are at night. They're surrounded by the, the cavernous skies of a time before the electrical grids of uh, electricity lips that would light up cities. In the black of the night, the angels came to proclaim the birth of Christ. Mary and Joseph had to find their way uh, in the do closed doors at night. Over and over, it seems like God appeared to people during that time at night in dreams. And the question for us, as they asked back then, can we see any light? And then Christ was born, and the light shone. And for us, light and hope coming to be with us in the dark places is the story of Christmas. It's not either or, it's and. Light, it's light and darkness. And the light of God came to this world. When you look around, do you see the light? Or do you see the darkness? Because it's easy for us in this day and world to see so much evil and so much uh, hardship and so, and, and so many stories that we become skeptical. We become cynical. Um, even apathetic. Do we really believe in the light of Christ? That he is the light of the world? Are we able to be the people of God 
with an unwavering faith that say, that say, despite the darkness that I see in this world, the darkness that I, I perhaps experienced in this world, I believe in the light of God. I believe in the light of Christ. There's a picture uh, last month that came out in the Star Tribune. It's actually the split uh, house, uh, uh, the split rock lighthouse. Let's take a look at that picture. This is beautiful. A photographer of the Star and Tribune took this on the 44th anniversary of the, of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald ship, where 29 men lost their lives. And I just look at this picture, and this picture in so many ways, I think, um, exemplifies for me the story. And I asked myself as I looked at this picture over and over, there's something about it that has kind of grabbed me over the last month or so. Do I focus on the darkness in this picture? Am I focusing on the dark over there, or am, am I focusing on the light? Am I fo- focusing on the Spit Rock light, Lighthouse right there that is actually decommissioned? They only do it once a year on the anniversary of Edmund Fitzgerald. Am I looking at that light? Am I looking at the, that, that resplendent light of the moon? That's a question for all of us. Are we looking at the light, or are we looking at the darkness? And for us, it'd be the kind of people who stand in the midst of it, to stand in the midst of darkness and say that there's a great light, that we can find peace and that we can find hope within the chaos of this world. Even though we may be surrounded by people who have given up or people that have given up in a lot of ways, that we can still be people that say, no, I believe, I I have hope. I have hope this Christmas. I have hope that things are going to change because Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he's going to come back. He is going to come back. And at Christmas, at this time of the year, is for us to be, be reminded once more that the light has come and that you and I are called to be people who exude that light. Let's take a look at John 3.19 because there's something about this story of light that John just continues to write about that I think we can learn from. Not only the fact that, that it's about uh, darkness and light, the story, but also something else. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. In other words, John is trying to say this is really important stuff, or Jesus is saying this actually, that this is important stuff. Really listen to me. This is the verdict. Light has come in the world, but men, humanity, love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. When I read that, and I, what I sense, and there's a number of things around that, but you and I, we have to be, we have to be people who look very closely for light. Because of the darkness, we have to slow down long enough to look at the glimpses of light that happen every single day. Have you seen something recently? Something good? Something that just kind of took your breath away? Something that's like, yes, this gives me hope. This gives me hope that God is, is still in control of the world. Or, or this gives me hope that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. These little glimpses that we see at different times instead of giving in to pessimism or giving in to apathy. I was in line at London Bailey's not too long ago, and this woman was paying for her groceries, and she only brought cash. And she was like $5.45 short or something like that, and she had no more money. And also you get to see her face just turn red, and red from embarrassment and shame, and and the cashier said, well, I, you know, we have to put something back. And, but this dad and his two daughters, as they were about to walk away with their, their shopping bags, they heard what's going on. And all of a sudden, he immediately came over, and he paid her bill. That's a glimpse of light. 
You might ask what I was doing. I was reading my Bible. <laughs> but that, that's a glimpse of light. Or, or a couple weeks ago when Sam Randall did a phenomenal job preaching in our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and, and, and uh, preached on a very important topic. And as, we, as I had that Sunday off in a certain respect, I was able to actually get, get out and go into our children's ministries, which I don't get a chance very often, obviously, when I'm up here. Um, otherwise, you'd have a vacant pulpit. But I had a chance to go down there and see our kids in action. And, and just seeing their joy and seeing our teachers just love on our kids. But there was, there was one scene that just took my breath away like, yes, there is a glimpse of light. And it was a beautiful special needs boy that we have here. And Quinn Boss Olson, our children's ministries director, where she was out in the hallway with him. And, and she could have had a volunteer or something like that, but Quinn loves our kids so much and our volunteers do too. But she was out in the hallway with this boy, and, and he had to get them, ste- he had to kind of let some steam off. So he is doing sprints up and down the hallway, and just, just kind of getting his energy out. And just seeing that, that, that Quinn was smiling and cheering him on, and he had to kind of get this energy out, was a glimpse of light. That she would take the time, that our volunteers take time with our children. Or you take a person like Allison Glazer, who actually leads a ministry here called Congregational Care. And Congregational Care is a very expansive ministry. It covers everything from, from uh, families who have a new baby and, and she organizes gifts for them uh, to people who lose somebody. And, and she helps with around meals and, and grieving and things like that. And also encouragement uh, cards, sympathy cards, um, and, and just a variety of ways, helping me with hospital visits and lining things up. I meet with Allison every two weeks. And if you know Allison Glazer, it's like she exudes light. I really believe if you put Allison, just her demeanor, her countenance, her personality, who she is, she just, she just loves people. She, in fact, she said, Craig, thanks so much for asking me to lead this ministry. And she just had this big smile on her face. And if you know Allison, I really think if you put her in a dark room, she would light up like a 300-watt uh, LED uh, floodlight. This is the kind of way she is and the way she lives her lives. And we see glimpses of light like that in people. And for me, it's infectious. How, what, what can I do? What can I do in terms of my words or actions to, exa- to actually exude light, to show hope, to show goodness, to show that there's a God who has not given up on this world, that we have a God, as Jesus said, who is constantly at work in this world, who loves this world, and even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of hard times, he has not given up. He calls you and I to be the kind of people who exude light. And as we exude light, and as we engage in those kind of actions, then also to be looking around. That's number two in your, in your fill-in-the-blank, is that light is, has to be looked for. It has to be looked for. And I think even more so today, you have to look very closely. But it's there. It's there every single day. Every single day, what's something that you and I can do? And then next, let's turn it back to John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of humanity. Sort of echoes later on, John 10, 10, where Jesus Christ says, I have come that you may have life in all its fullness. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 4. Let's flip over to Psalm 18, 28. Another, another passage on um, light. 
Psalm 18, verse, verse 28. I just love this verse. It's David writing this. We didn't have a chance, unfortunately, to do Psalm 18 in our fall series on Psalm. I love, I love the Psalm. Verse 28, he says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. And what David is saying, maybe you want to write in the margins of your Bible or your teaching notes, is that, is that David, and like us, we need light. We need light. We need it. In fact, in your teaching notes, we crave light. It's something that we have to have. I mean, physiologically speaking, there's been studies done, and I'm sure I'm not going to surprise you, people who have actually gone into an extended period of darkness, like one woman blindfolded herself for 22 straight days just to see what would happen. I'm not sure why she did that, but she did it. And she recorded what happened. She had hallucinations. She lost all sense of time. And of course, she had a support system around her, helping her kind of, you know, eat and things like that. And then also another study done on two people who actually spent, spent two months in an in a, in a absolute darkness of caves. They couldn't even see their hand. And again, hallucinations. And in fact, one gal was in that cave and she slept 30 straight hours. And she thought it was a nap, as she uh, shared later. You're probably thinking right now, I could use 30 hours of sleep. <laughs> Especially after the shopping I did last week or something. But what they have found in those studies and other studies, that we actually go insane without, without any kind of light. There is something about the human condition that we crave light. We have to have light. It's like one author notes this. The brain is locked into total darkness. It floats in clear liquid inside the skull, never in the light. And yet the world it constructs is the mind of full of light. It brims with color and texture and movement. You and I are hardwired for light. We crave light. We need it. And our stories, the stories of our culture, are stories of light triumphing darkness. Why do we gravitate so much to these stories where there's good that, that overcomes evil or, or light, or light uh, overtakes darkness? I mean, Star Wars has made billions of dollars on that simple premise. And if you were like me during Thanksgiving, you saw that trailer about 15 times, right? Let's watch a clip of it. Telling me they know me. No one does. Long have I waited, and now you're coming together. Telling me they know me. Okay, I mean, some of you are like keep, keep playing it, keep playing it. I grew up on Star Wars, the first movie I went to way back in 1977. This is sad. This is the last one. It's the last segment of the Star Wars movie, so I will uh, have to talk to somebody after the service. Anyways, moving on. But it's a, it's a story of, of light overcoming darkness. We see that. And, and Kyle Ren exuding that darkness, and, and yet the, the Star Wars characters are rallying to overcome that. That's what draws us. That's why it's going to draw many of you actually to the movie theater to actually see what happens, even though we pretty much can assume that light overcomes darkness. I'm reminded, too, of the story of John McCain. And some of you are probably familiar with his story. In 2008, Time Magazine did an interview with him. 
And they asked him to share his, his journey of his Christian faith. And uh, McCain shared this with a reporter. When I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms around my back and loop a rope around my neck and ankle so that my head was pulled down, if you can imagine this, pulled down between my knees. And I would lay there or sit there all night. Now, I'm not flexible enough to get my head down through my knees here, but can you imagine something like that? And McCain said, every night that would happen. But one time, a guard came into my cell, he said. He put his fingers to his lips, signaling for me to be quiet. And then he loosened my ropes to relieve my pain on my wrists and my ankles. And the next morning, when his shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw the same guard approach me. He walked up and stood silently next to me, not looking or smiling at me. Then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at the cross, remembering the true light of Christmas. Even in the darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. In the same way, this Christmas, for you and I to see the light, the light of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of darkness. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend in the story and for us to, um, to be the, the kind of people that not, not only believe in this light found in Jesus Christ, but the kind of people that share it and shine. Like Paul says in Philippians, to shine like stars, to let our light shine. And I pray that uh, as we take steps this week, Lord, that we look for opportunities uh, to do good, uh, to share with people perhaps uh, the true light, the true light of this world that is Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Is our custom here at Maple Grove Covenant Church to celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Um, Advent, as we've explained, is all about waiting for the Lord to come again, remembering time when Jesus was there and waiting for Jesus to come again, remembering when there was light and although there is darkness now, expecting that light can still burst into the darkness. You see, Jesus after he died, think about how dark that tomb must have been for Jesus. It's hard for us to connect with Jesus sometimes because he's so powerful and so godly. But in that moment, pitch dark. The stones rolled away. Think about that light that burst into that tomb that day. Jesus walks out of the tomb and the disciples didn't even recognize him, it says. He sits down and he tries to eat a meal with the disciples and they don't even know him at first. And it's only when he takes the bread and he blesses it, it says in the book of Luke, that their eyes are opened and they see him and they say, this is the Lord. The disciples were sitting in darkness too, even though Jesus was right in front of their face. And it's when they remembered the gift that he gave them, that their eyes were opened and they saw the light again. And in the same way, that is our invitation today. When we come to this table, we're remembering the hope that comes from Jesus. 
that at any moment, light can pierce into the darkness in our lives. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the loaf of bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after the meal, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Because something new is happening. No longer do we have to wait in darkness, but we can wait with the expectation that light can pierce into that darkness at any moment. In a moment, we'll pray over this meal, over this table, and then when you're ready, you can come forward to celebrate with us. There will be servers uh, to my left and to my right and also in the balcony. If you are gluten-free, that is uh, the offering on the far left, but anybody can go to that as well. Pray with me. God, send your spirit on these gifts. We are grateful to be guests at your table. We give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son Jesus and brought us light. Through his dying and through his living, Jesus declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory when that tomb was rolled away. May we share this body today and live into Jesus' risen life. May we who drink this cup bring life then to others. And may we whom the Spirit lights us give light to the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The table's set. You're invited.